This is Restless. Okay, well, uh, this is Restless, and uh, I said this is Restless, and then I forgot that I was supposed to bring us in, Matt. So this is my awkward way of bringing us into the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, excited to have you. I know that it is got to be around Christmas or after Christmas when we're doing this. If it's for Christmas or the new year, don't forget, you can get Restless merch. We wow. have a sticker that you can buy. So if you look in the description of the podcast, if you go to our Twitter, at Restless Podcasting, one S on that Restless, uh, then you can find a link and you can go and actually buy a, a beautiful Restless sticker. I And I tend to think that everyone in your family, uh, including your grandma, including your great grandma, everybody that you know would love to have a Restless sticker, whether that be for Christmas or for the new year, or really any time. This is, this is the beautiful thing about Restless stickers is they are uh, great for any occasion. Every occasion, any and all occasions. So I'm Pastor Michael, uh, which is what I'm supposed to say instead of just shilling our uh, <laughs> our, our uh, sticker. And uh, so I'm Pastor Michael. This is Matt. Matt, you're the host. Why don't you take over? Because this is just getting bad. We are back again. We are going to continue listening to part of the episode on branding from the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Because in that episode... If you remember, they spent a lot of it talking about the YRR, which we left for this episode this time. We are headed into the clips. We're going to do a free-flowing episode because, again, Mike Cosper is interviewing Colin Hansen, folks we may never get to hear on Restless. And so we want to listen to how CT does the YRR, and we will see what we think. So Pastor Michael, should we just take it away? Let's do it. And just so everyone knows, as I think people like, it's going to be a lot of stopping and starting. And we'll see how interesting it is. Turn of the century, at the same time that conversations about the emerging church and postmodernism are starting to gather steam, another movement is brewing. Its roots stretch in several different directions and into a really strange mix of denominations and personalities. But in spite of their differences, they formed an alliance and made a significant impact on evangelicalism in the two decades since. Okay, one moment as he explains the background of the YRR, which I think he did well. I think it makes me wonder one thing, and I think it kind of doesn't explain one thing as well as uh, you, if you listen to Ligon Duncan, Albert Moeller, even Colin Hansen in his book, this is a great moment to plug that as soon as we have 50 reviews, we're going to go through the young, restless, and reformed chapter by chapter together. Um, and hopefully that will soon also lead to us having 100 Twitter followers when Pastor Michael will read and review on air Jesus and John Wayne. Um, so should I say, we are we doing reviews or rating? We have 58 ratings. Oh, so we may have made it, everybody. So we maybe have made it. We got. We have to look through it. We have to find out if uh, if we're doing uh, ratings or reviews. So what is interesting is the YRR specifically organized to kind of thwart the influence of postmodernism in the emergent church. That 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 was one of the main motivating factors of all these people coming together, and probably what made Driscoll fit in with them early on was they were there to oppose postmodernism. And it's this idea of 
I, and, and the thing that it makes me wonder is, I know, again, I think that sometimes this comes out of a desire to be overly neutral. He's like, at the same time, the church was having discussions about postmodernism and the early, uh, and the emergent church, another movement was brewing. I, I, I think he's trying to be very um, straight-laced. I think he's trying to be the objective newsman, which I think is, again, we've pointed out the danger of that over and over. But again, it makes it feel like we were having a productive conversation. And then, especially in light of this being all about Driscoll, this came along and interrupted it. Then here came these guys. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't hear it that way uh, as much, um, but I wasn't, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like it was it was necessarily leaning in that direction. Um, much more just these are, I mean, even just, you know, talking to Brad uh, from mm-hmm. Merlin, friend of the show, uh, and his kind of take on uh, the rise of the YRR. It sounds pretty similar. It sounds like it a, a dumbed down version right, of what Brad would say. It, and again, I think the only thing I would add, and I think Brad would add, is that it was a reaction. It was trying to become the high level of influence over these yeah, two other things. Stem the tide of yes. these within evangelicalism, and, explicitly so. And I guess my heart as a true YRR guy is I want Mike Cosper to say is, yeah. We got them. We like, won. We won. I, I, I want to celebrate. I want, I, yeah, I want. I want them to say, "Yeah, this was a good thing." Yeah. And bring out the champagne. Uh, we got them, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's great. To understand how it kicked off and got momentum, you should probably talk about some institutions, certainly some churches, and definitely some celebrities. But almost universally, when you talk to folks who study the movement, they agree. You have to start by talking about seashells. Also, I'm going to throw some shade here at Mike Cosper. You didn't interview Brad Vermerlin for this. He certainly deserved yeah, to be interviewed. Yeah, you need on him. This. I hope I hope they get him before the end of it. Come on, he's. He, I mean, he was there. He studied the church. He wrote a book about it. Oh, come on, Colin. Uh, not Colin Hanson. Mike Cosper. You got it. You got to get Brad he, on. And he is the like. I will go out of my way to be fair-minded person. Yeah, right. So, but let's listen to about seashells. A little article here from. Reader's Digest. This is John Piper speaking at Passion's one-day event in 2000. Moments before, he told the story of two women, Ruby and Laura, both in or near their 80s, who'd spent their lives devoted to serving others, and who died while serving as missionaries in Cameroon. Their death wasn't a tragedy, Piper was saying, because they'd given their lives away to something that mattered. This is a tragedy. Title of the article... Start now, retire early. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. There's 40,000 people in this. How dare you? This is John Piper's version of how yeah, dare you. Yeah. So, Pastor Michael, I think another time, it would be a very interesting event for us to review the entirety of the sermon. Don't waste your yeah, life. Yeah, that'd be great. I actually don't know that I've heard this sermon. I heard clips from it, no doubt, at different times. Um, and I did read the book. And it was very impactful. It was a very impactful book for me. And I think... For that reason, and I do think they are right, probably 
from the help of Vermerlin's research and Colin Hansen's journalism, they know the year 2000, as we've said early on, is, is very much right at the beginning of this with passion and these events. And so I'm not going to comment overly on the quality of Don't Waste Your Life. And, and, and certainly um, that, that would need to be done, again, listening to the entirety of it, which is something we'll put on a list to do. I think when I heard Piper saying this, there are two things that came to my mind. One, Piper's critique of the American comfort-seeking, the, 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 the need for this uh, has, and it's kind of a cliche now to talk about seashells, has, it did go, was right on, right? That, that that was something people were going for. I think over time, I'll say by the year, I'll buy by 10 years later, the message of don't waste your life, which would, this is why I would be interested in listening to the whole message became, you are not being faithful for Christ unless you are doing the most quote unquote radical thing you can think of. Yeah. It right. has to be missions. It the, has to be ministry the, or something like that. The comparison, right. Of these yuppie people in Punta Gunda, Florida, and these women who died in Cambodia, right. I think you could retire to to faithfully spend time with your grandchildren and church. Yeah, yeah, like and, and uh, dare I say, uh, far more of the time, a faithful retirement would look like I'm going to devote myself to my kids and grandkids and church and just whatever they need. Right. And uh, rather than I'm going to leave my family that I have to do missions, which sometimes is very no noble and great i'm not yes, you know don't hear me yes don't hear me saying missions is not a good thing god bless everybody that god calls to missions i support them yep. i literally support them like I, yep. I mean i am i'm all for it the idea that in order to be the radical quote-unquote christian means you have to be the missionary is extremely flawed and it has caused great damage yes. that that kind of pietism that does show up a lot from someone like John Piper has been extremely damaging for the long-term generational faithfulness yes. of the church. Yes. This, and this is, this is what, this is what I'm saying is that, and this is why it'd be interesting to yeah, listen to Piper. Yeah, we got to it. Piper's, All right. We got it. So it's, with, it's on the schedule, everybody. Because, we don't know when, but we're going to review this. Because we also want to do an episode where we talk about the benefit of gaining practical skills of like building these kinds of things that I think the, quote unquote radical Christianity moment, they would throw those over the bus. The right, the the appropriate critique Piper is making, and maybe it's the point of the talk. And if so, it's a great point, is it's the self-focused nature of how most people structure their careers in retirement that's problematic. Yeah. And you that is a waste. Just as a generation, uh baby boomers like John Piper, right? So he's talking about people that are like, I mean, these Him. are his people, right? Like his his generation we're doing this. That'd be pretty brutal. Like, yeah. that, you know, knowing that like the majority of my generation is like, like they lived in an extraordinary time, became very wealthy overall, and they have squandered it for not just the kingdom of God for like, just generally speaking. Uh, but the, the fact that he cues into that spiritual side of things that they like, you know, Hey, there's this entire like spiritual, uh, you know, uh, these institutions and resources and all of this just like amazing wealth that has been built up over centuries. And we're going to suck it dry for everything it's worth. Right. Like he really hits home on that. And it's really, it's true. Like it is, it, true. It is true that there was a generation and, and others do it too. It's oh, not yeah, just yeah. the boomers. It just happens to be 
particularly true of a it's, lot of boomers as a generation. It, it's it, it's just we'll say it is no surprise Piper would be the one identifying yeah, this and seen as it. a Christian yeah. pastor. I think maybe after we listen to Don't Waste Your Life, it would be great for us to do a restless version of it because I think the temptation to have a this kind of retirement is actually gone for our generation because it's never going to happen. <laughs> like that's not achievable for us. Like it's gone, baby. And so it would be interesting for us to try and uh, update that. But let's keep <laughs> listening. This crowd that's gathered outside Memphis and they're sitting on tarps and garbage bags wearing raincoats, ponchos. It's maybe 70 degrees, but it's rainy and windy, just miserable to be out. And it's not an environment any preacher ever wants to have to show up in. But even going back, watching the video on YouTube, there's something kind of electric about it. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Pastor John is an electric speaker. He really no is. Doubt. I like even just hearing him again. I'm like, oh yeah, man. I do. I, I do uh, miss the days of listening to a lot of Piper sermons. He's he's good. He's I'll just, a great speaker. I'll just say this: that you know, I'm not too worried about the the nice car, nice retirement <laughs> house because. I'm planning on owning nothing and being happy. No, that's my future. <laughs> oh man, you'll be fine inside of your pod. Uh, no, I want to say like one of the things that I love about John Piper uh, and that I want to say here is that like he seems to be one of these guys that actually like he puts his money where his mouth is. You see the kind of like like amount of like money that he has given away, the amount of money that he like had as a salary um, over time when he was pastoring was very like for the size of Bethlehem Baptist and all that he did he lived uh, like a very humble life mm -hmm. he gave away so, like you think about the amount of books like unbelievable amounts of money that this guy could have been making and he gave almost all of it to you know desiring God and to uh missions like he, he they've given so much away he's done so much with that and like giving his time and energy you know even in his his retired years to uh, a lot of ministry that it really is incredible. You know, it really is. I I'm very impressed by that. On it historically has this sort of spark moment and it can be easily overplayed in the future um, just for the sake of historical narratives. But if you're looking for one of the, that moment within the unrestless reformed, it would be John Piper's one day message. Don't waste your life in, in 2000. 
uh, for people in my generation, so essentially older millennials into Gen X, it's one of those things where I don't know how many of us were actually there and how many more of us claimed that we were there in retrospect or just that we were there in spirit. It's like the Woodstock of Young Restless Reformed. This is Colin Hansen. I just love it. so weird. I love calling it the Woodstock. It's a very YRR or very evangelical thing that it's this like, we overestimate how big of a deal these things yeah. <laughs> probably were, right? Like when we went back and looked at the list of the 10 ideas changing the world in 2009, when it made the list that we never heard of anything else yep. other than new Calvinism. But yeah, it, it it's is. just interesting too, that it is like, what would you compare this to? Right. It's not, you don't call it like a revival. Uh, you don't call it like, wow, this is like the first great awakening or even the second great awakening. It's like, this is like Woodstock. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just, it is interesting. And, and again, right. I think that, you know, Colin Hansen mentions, right. That it's this, it was this challenge to, to love Christ above all things, which yep. is, you know, again, it was a good thing. Colin is the Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition. And in the mid-2000s, he wrote a book called Young, Restless, Reformed, about the new Calvinist movement that was taking off at the time. He, like many others, points to this moment in Memphis as a critical launching pad for the movement. It's in an open field. It's ton of, tons of music. The weather is, is kind of crazy. And there's this wild-haired guy calling a generation to lay down their lives for the sake of Christ and the gospel. As Hansen traces it out, the discovery of John Piper gave people a taste of Reformed theology that for many resonated on a different level than what they'd known in church before. What I came to understand under the reading of Charles Taylor and other, you know, describers of our secular age is that, um, Christianity without much of a historical, theological, confessional orientation is very difficult to sustain within an imminent frame. So a transcendent religion that is connected biblically across the Old and New Testament, that is connected historically within a robust confessional tradition, that offers you a genuine alternative to uh, the sort of therapeutic turn I would say, the, the me-centered turn in American culture and including evangelical theology. Reformed theology gives you a really strong place to stand in response to all of that. So Fascinating. So everything he just said about what was brought forward is what we have often said was not existent within the YRR. <laughs> right, exactly. I, you know, Charles Taylor is one of those guys that everyone loves to talk about, and I'm not convinced most people are smart enough to read or actually <laughs> understand. But you're right. When he says the need of a confessional broad theology for our secular time, in my mind, I thought is exactly what the YRR didn't deliver. Yeah. And, and if he's right, which again, we're, we're quoting a kind of a, a secular philosophical thinker on these things, on secularism. And if he's right, maybe that explains where the YRR went. That yeah. People did seek confessionalism and that in that way, the movement couldn't really hold together. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, it is, you know, I mean, maybe one thing to say in its credit is that 
it did introduce a lot of us to a theology that at least had the the opportunity or it like it did lend itself for some to that actual like transcendent view of the way that the world is how god has made it who he is um that you know so maybe like there was that there was an aspect of transcendence to it that did not exist in a lot of american evangelicalism apart from that and so maybe there is an element uh where that is definitely the case um and maybe that's more what he's saying too you know not that uh it was in itself confessional although we've heard a lot of why our guys think of themselves as you know confessional mm-hmm. because they hold to the five points you know right. of calvinism which are a summary of a confessional document that they have almost certainly never read <laughs> right. or i didn't read when i would describe myself that yes way. exactly if those are concerns that you grew up with let's say that you grew up in a kind of theologically thin evangelical background the Reformed theology was a pretty appealing coming-of-age theology. Colin's argument makes a lot of sense to me. If young people at the turn of the millennium were looking for a gateway into something that feels like transcendence, something they're out of touch with because of life in a disenchanted, secularized world, then Reformed theology has an especially strong appeal. Amen, by the way. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, let's clip that and make sure that that's kind of the uh, central brand of this podcast. It immerses them in a story about God's mysterious providence, and it gives them a sense of place in a larger narrative. And whatever one might think of Reformed theology, there's no denying the fact that Piper has a way, particularly through his preaching, of presenting his listeners with a vision of a big, transcendent, and awe-inspiring God. The whole point of his passion message is summed up in a line that he almost whispered, don't waste your life. And that became the theme of his ministry in the years to come, inspiring countless to become pastors, church planners, and missionaries. As Hansen frames it then, Piper's sermon at Passion was a moment where Reformed theology hit the mainstream, and it did so at a moment when other efforts had already laid groundwork to be able to support, sustain, and extend the interest. Also worth noting, Piper, not confessionally Reformed, famously so. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, explicitly so. But yeah, yeah, famously wrong about some key reformed categories. Yeah. So he points to Ligon Duncan, Reformed Theological Seminary, and Reformed University Fellowship in one stream. There's also Albert Moeller and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in another, a seminary that Moeller had essentially stripped to the studs and rebuilt over the past decade after the conservative resurgence in the SBC. There's also Driscoll and Mars Hill, and there's C.J. Mahaney in Sovereign Grace Ministries. Mahaney is a self Listening to that list, I just think to myself of the meme of the little dog in the fiery room. This is fine. All of the all of those things have turned out really well. This list of the YRR movies. No, yeah, that's really interesting uh, to say. But even listening to it, I do think like there's there is a like a part of me that is like being transported back again to where yeah. I was like, wow, like this is it was amazing in a lot of ways, right? I mean, that that this like all of a sudden took off in the way that it did as like broadly as it did, um, that Calvinism was able to like basically make the play within the American church that it did is incredible. And I'm grateful for it. You know, like I, like I do see the hand of God in it. And uh, like even where it's fallen apart, like, you know, who knows, even still is what I would say, what God is doing through that, right? So like, I mean, we're literally making this podcast because of this. Right what is there that's going to, you know, uh, come of this long-term 
what you will know? come of this podcast or this well, podcast <laughs> i think hopefully I, good hopefully not the uh all of this is fine meme <laughs> i think that will be what is uh actually interesting about reading colin hansen's book which is as as we mentioned in our celebrity culture episode is is organized around these kind of key figures i think it will be one enjoyable to kind of transport ourselves back at what was going on and look at it with hindsight um, which i think will be enjoyable for us described former druggie who came to faith in the charismatic revivals of the 70s he co-planted what became covenant life church in gaithersburg maryland with larry tomzak in 1977 and then they launched a network of churches with another co-founder brent detweiler in 1982 they were originally called People of Destiny International, but in the 1990s, after they came to embrace Reformed doctrine, they what a rebranded. Horrible name. <laughs> that just like that just like sounds so much like a cult, you know? Like, <laughs> hey, you know, we want to brand ourselves the most cult-like that we can. People of Destiny Church. People of Destiny. <laughs> that is Sovereign Grace. It bears a little bit better. Oh, that was a that was a solid <laughs> move. brand. Well, let's just talk about the brand of it. Which that which, is a solid move. Let's put it this way. You wouldn't be singing Sovereign Grace songs every Sunday like we know you are, Acts 29, if it was still called People of Destiny. People of Destiny. Music. <laughs> hey, where'd you get this me- music? Oh, the People of <laughs> Destiny. Yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of took a turn from the charismatic brand there. There's mentioning that Sovereign Grace has faced a series of scandals, most of which were made public starting in 2009 with the departure of Detweiler. But as the new Calvinist movement was taking off in the decade prior, and when Hansen was writing his book, most of this was out of view. Connected to Mahaney was one other figure, a celebrity in his own right whose commitment to reform doctrine also helped popularize it. I, Wait, who is this person? Their commitment to the reformed doctrine? I was convicted by his teaching about the local church and ended up getting to know him and then moving across the country to be an intern in his church, live in his basement, learn from him. You know, he said to me, you're a Timothy, you need a Paul in your life. This is Joshua Harris. Harris is the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. A- Can we just, I'll just note this, that especially in light of all the people we're interviewing, the person we're now interviewing as the like committed. The guy who really got the reform <laughs> side of things. Interesting. It's yeah. Just what a, again, like, at least give that to Colin Hansen. Yeah. He's the, well, I know TGC isn't isn't the YRR. That was T4G. But I would rather, if I have to pick someone of all the people that have been being interviewed in this, I'll take Colin Hansen. Yeah, and basically up to this point, everything he said was great, right? Yeah. Hey, we really wanted a transcendent theology that, you know, uh, was really like confessional and historic and all of this kind of stuff. Like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then it's like, no, we're going to go with Harris. Yep, because... And, and it's it's also no, I it's even worse than I thought because Harris is what was he actually most known for as a Christian? He wasn't known for his YRR cred. He was known for I kiss dating the guy. Yeah, he was a pure. He was the purity culture guy. Yes. So so it is the the guy. He is the. He is the epitome of the like thing we beat up now as a straw man. Yeah, that we hate the most, right? Of, like of the, the thing bad we the moralism. Most. And he's not, the guy. <laughs> he's the guy. And, and, and again, when we do, when we listen to his uh, interview, maybe we'll do an episode on it if it's good. Otherwise, I, I think eventually we will, if it's not done in that episode, it might be exhaustively. 
is uh, his letter that he released when he announced he was leaving the faith. Cause it's, it is a, it is an interesting and really strange letter, but I, I, I do think that it is this, like this guy who I actually think rejected the moral, a lot of this moralism he was known for. And I think sadly with it went Christianity, but this, uh, this is one of those moments where it's like, I refuse to be, I, Uh, repped by this dude book that became the go-to guide for dating and courtship among a certain tribe of conservative evangelicals when it came out in 1997 his parents pastor michael did you read that book by the way no i never did either like i've i uh i got rid of a copy recently like i picked a copy up somewhere at like a thrift store uh over the years and i found a copy and i'm pretty sure it got thrown away like i i maybe should have kept it all the books by the way that i end up throwing away are like books that it's like well, someday we'll end up doing it on the podcast. I'm like, great. Now I have to buy a book that I had a cheap copy of. Uh, but no, I never, I never read it. And honestly, I don't remember it ever being like talked about. I don't remember. I don't remember in the circles that I was in, this was not a big book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was also, I think it was mostly pre YRR. It was nineties, yeah. very nineties. Yeah. What a, it is a very nineties kind of a thing. It really does seem that way. It is a very nineties persona. It is. Yeah. It totally is. We're significant figures in the homeschooling movement. And Harris had established a platform in that world, speaking and publishing a magazine called new attitude. But his ambitions changed after he met Mahaney. I just saw in him a model for what I wanted to be. And I was, you know, very excited about laying down my parachurch goals and embracing the importance of the local church. And that redirected my entire life. He started his internship at the church the same year his book released. That was 1997. In 2004, he became the lead pastor at Covenant Life, and he served in that role until 2015. He left in the fallout of the controversies mentioned earlier, initially pursuing a seminary education. Then in 2019, he shared that he no longer identifies as a Christian. I wanted to talk to Harris, though, because he's another young leader in this movement, someone who was in the room for much of what came later, and in ways not unlike Mark, he's a casualty of the Christian celebrity phenomenon. So Cosper knows that there are people like us. Maybe he knows the Restless podcast. He knows there are people that are going to oh, give him listening. flack he's for this. He's a secret listener. We he, know it. We've talked he, about it. He's he, a secret listener. He, he knows there are people who are going to give him flack for this interview. It's not that you're interviewing him. It's that how he's being presented is is what we're criticizing. Right. Yeah. It's not just so you're interviewing all these people who were involved. It's being that he is providing an insightful take. Yep. So he's the on what was one really of the primary happening. authorities, and he also is described as like purely a victim. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not. It's not his fault that all of these things happened. That we literally talk about all the time being so problematic, like period right. culture and like the YRR. No, he's a victim of it all. Whereas what is Driscoll? So seriously, we need to talk about that. Like how come this guy is considered a victim of all this when he was almost as much, so maybe he wasn't as popular as right. Driscoll, but he was just as much a perpetrator of this stuff. And if he could have had the 60 person media team that Driscoll had, would he have been in the same place? Almost definitely, you right. know, like almost definitely from everything that we've seen. De- debatably, so to, the only thing that held him back was an older man mentoring him. Mentoring him and saying, hey, don't do that. One who also is now out of uh, great, yeah, like exactly. has fallen from grace in this movement. And so it's just, it's, yeah, it's just such a mess um, to 
to have this as like the guy and we're going to talk to him. I actually, but like, I don't mind you talking to him and be right. like, nope. hey, what is your view of things? But to make him like such a like important voice the, in this matter is the, nuts. The amount of time he's going to get in this episode. I don't know how the, the fall, the episode what's all about him is, is structured. And, and again, I'm sure they want, again, it's this, they really want to be taken as they're really, really fair. Um, I, I think that that not, I don't think it's only that I actually think that one of the reasons that Cosper includes uh, him in here as much as he does in the in the way that he does is I actually think and this comes out more when there is the interview so a little bit of spoiler for sure. you because you haven't listened to it um, but he basically ends by saying hey like I you know I I can't help but feeling that Jesus isn't done with you like he's um, he is clearly trying to witness sure. to this guy sure. through this and so he includes like, and this is a very, I mean, it's a very like evangelical Christianity today thing to do, right? Yeah. Like, like I'm going to witness yep. to him by making sure that he knows that he's the most important thing or like he's center or like, I'm going to listen to him, yeah. you know, like he, he's, he, I want to validate his experience right. or something like that. Um, and, you know, God bless Mike Cosper. Like it, it is clear, like he wants this guy to know yep. Jesus again. Uh, and so that's great. Like I, you know, um, he, he does want to do that. It does seem, I think that's actually why I don't, hmm. I don't think it's as much for Cosper anyway. I don't think it's probably as much like this guy's voice is really meaningful here as much as the personal connection I have to this man. Sure. And I want to like find a way to reach him and people like him. And this guy likes the platform stuff. <laughs> and this, I, I think that I'm going to, again, because of um, Joshua Harris's state as someone who has committed the sin of apostasy and wants to help other people deconstruct their faith. Yeah. That that's why he's getting the uh the treatment he is from us. I will say on the other side, one, I do it is a whether this is the right way to go about it or not. Again, we're in the tech age, so you know, we're you know, if that, that anything goes, say God bless my Cosper. It is this is one of the things that is a the a true tragedy of what's going on is all of these scandals and all of these things that are that do play a part in people like this yeah. walking away from their faith oh, yeah people go into seminaries to get answers and instead they get long discussions on how trustworthy the gospels are right that, yeah that these things do that this is this is in that way a tragedy also bias telling he played an unwitting role in an introduction that would give birth to one of the movement's strange alliances so there's this there's this joke. It's kind of a funny story that Mark Dever tells that he met CJ because he was looking for a copy of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and they were driving by the church. He didn't know CJ, and he's like, "Oh, let's stop in in that in the church. That's where Josh works." And he found a copy of the book and walked by CJ's office and left a note. And you know that's how CJ and Mark Dever, who would then you know later go on to start together for the gospel and do all kinds of things uh, kind of connected. So I love to give CJ a hard time that he owed his friendship to Mark, to me, which he, he vehemently denied. Uh, he will, he'll deny till the, till this dying breath, I'm sure. In many ways. That's a fun story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Mark Dever and CJ Mahaney couldn't be more different. Mahaney's ex-hippie, low church, and lighthearted demeanor is a stark contrast to the Cambridge-educated pastor of a historic Baptist church on Capitol Hill. But people of destiny. <laughs> Capitol Hill Baptist Capitol Hill church. Baptist, people of destiny. <laughs> You're friends now. You're the friendships that built T4G. 
They became fast friends, and that friendship birthed one of the significant landmarks of the new Calvinist movement. I started running this conference um, that was kind of the continuation of my events that I'd been doing called New Attitude. And the New Attitude conference was for young adults and singles, college-age students. It was sort of, we went to, we went to passion to kind of learn from them. I remember meeting with Louie and basically saying, like, I want to, I want to do this too. And, um, and so that was a place where we actually started having that in Louisville, which was part of the way that CJ through Mark Dever connected with Al Mohler and, and then Lig Duncan. And so I remember being at the New Attitude, one of our first, I don't know, second or third New Attitude conferences and CJ calling me in my hotel late at night and talking about how he'd been with those three guys and they started brainstorming about this idea of doing their own event that was built around their friendships. And so it's like seeing, you know, together for the gospel birth in that context, there was just this there's just such a sense of energy. I mean, evangelicals just love movements, right? <laughs> we just get so jazzed about these kinds of things. Together for the Gospel would launch in 2006. It's, he's not wrong. You know? oh, man. Right. What, another conference? Great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. You yeah. know, that's, that is, uh, wow. Like that is the. Uh... And, and him starting conferences and, you know, kind of building these kinds of platforms totally different than Driscoll building a platform. Right, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Of <laughs> the, course. Yeah. Not even comparable. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm sure it didn't take any like, you know, get our media team, get the internet buzz going, yeah. use social media this way or right. whatever. It is interesting how they're just playing these things so different and uh, it, it's telling, right? It's, it's in this, and this may, I don't know. I think that there is a concern because I do think for most people, Probably not me because of how my personality is. I think Joshua Harris comes across much more likable than Driscoll does. Certainly yeah. in this podcast where we're playing the like that's me, interesting me man. Clip. You and I like, but you and I like we like Driscoll for the same reason. Exactly. Right? Like, like especially young us was very much attracted yeah. to that like brash bold right. and the like. I'm gonna be the more like softer spoken, yep. reasonable, and like you know kind of pietistic side of things mm-hmm. was like. I don't want any more of that. That's how I felt. And throughout church history, right, there are excellent godly examples of more soft-spoken yeah, men. Like different temperaments. For exactly. Sure. This this temperamental thing, right? I think John Piper is a much more temperament, even though he comes strongly as a speaker, he's a much kind of softer, more temperamental man, right? I mean, we can look into the reformation of the more, uh, you know, we might say Martin Dutzer is the kind of like, he was, you don't have all the writing of all the bombastic things he did because he was busy marrying people and yeah, being just a like pastor. Yep. And then you have guys like John Knox, who's like, I'm going to carry a sword and I'm going to say, we're taking Scotland or I die. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> these are different temperaments. Yeah. But what I, this is what I, and this is what I, what drives me so crazy is that the, and <laughs> bringing it back to tone, don't criticize us for tone because what drives me crazy is the world we live in now where the temperament is real and that's probably a postmodern thing that the temperament is really all that matters because the truth claims and all the other things about it are actually not valuable or Mm. to the secular world actually real so the only thing we can judge you on is your presentation and your temperament and so i think that the different temperaments in many ways if anything there's probably um Christianity today might be accurately picking up on, we need to change the temperament we have if we want to keep 
reaching people as you're talking about as there's probably a concern for these certain people yeah yeah interesting six at the galt house hotel in louisville that first year was small maybe 600 people but as hansen points out the togetherness of that event is what made it so significant so you had two southern baptists a charismatic non-denominational person and then you also had a Presbyterian, PCA, who were leading this thing as friends and bringing in different speakers. And that was one of the first public demonstrations in 2006 in Louisville at Together for the Gospel of what was becoming this broader phenomenon that I would then dub Young Restless Reformed. Other speakers would include John Piper, John MacArthur, and R.C. Sproul. And when you throw them all in the mix, you find a group of men who don't have consensus on baptism, the Lord's Supper, church governance, charismatic gifts, or whether or not someone can be an apostle today. Wow. <laughs> Let's not sweat the small stuff for the sake of togetherness. Oh, man. Here's one that's not small. Here's one that, like, if, if he's talking about C.J. Mahaney in this, in this case, whether or not someone can be an apostle today, big deal. Yeah, that is a big, big deal. Big deal. Wow. Like, that, that's not a small deal. But, but again, I think, I think this is what they're saying. They're just not saying it clearly. Again, I'm just like, let's, let's go to Driscoll's branding. Clarity over creativity. Just say what worked about this is it brought in people from a wide, wide range of theological yeah. perspectives, right? Also, is is what Driscoll did simply just the like, like he literally is just willing to say, this is what we're doing. Like we're willing to actually just say, yeah, we have a giant media team and I'm number one on iTunes. And it's probably because I'm a much funnier and better preacher than you. Like he was, he just said that stuff, right? right. Like it was, it was all up front. It was obvious. Right. Um, like even the concerns that people had and in the end, the things that made Mars Hill implode there were guys like John MacArthur again, who are literally calling it out from the beginning. They see it from the very right. beginning. So it was always there. Right. Um, but the difference between that and these other kind of like conference circuits and let's like make a big name for ourselves and like, you know, let's draw a big crowd and sell a bunch of books. Somehow that's like fine because they don't, they say they're together for the gospel. They don't say, wow, I'm really good at this. Right. So they don't like say it up front. And not to say that like some of those but, guys, I'm not saying that all of them were like, uh, maybe as arrogant or something, but right. like there is this element of, yeah, this is what we're doing. We're, we, we're making a crazy amount of money by doing this. We can do all the big names together for the gospel. Driscoll's like, I'm going to do number one on iTunes. And I believe Driscoll would have said for the gospel, right? Yeah, like, right. And, and this is why Carl Truman criticized them for yeah. this and all of it that's why like that's you love why. a guy like carl truman or others who are like like they were just consistent they were consistent the whole time and consistent in i'm going to criticize this and even be willing to like tell these people to their face my problem with what it is that they're doing um like that is that takes like serious serious courage um knowing that you will never be invited back to this conference because of this like you are you're not doing the, Hey, we need the jet fuel of this guy. We need to be a part of this. We need to like use his, his fame for the gospel. You're saying, well, I'm not going to hitch myself to anything that seems like it's really problematic and untrue. Even if it seems like there's like a pragmatic element that I could get out of it. Um, it, it's not worth it, you know? And, uh, yeah, God bless Carl Truman. Right. I think the, the question is, is all of this is based off the idea of 
bigness and celebrity for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes it ends really badly and sometimes it ends well. And so there's a lot that can be discussed in it, but there are some similarities. A lot of, it was like the idea that these things are so different that the whole Mars Hill movement was different than a lot of these other churches and denominations and like, you know, peoples of destiny and uh, conferences and all of this, like, it's not that different. You know, these things are actually unbelievably similar. Now, once you start getting into some of the like things from together for the gospel, sure. Like there are significant differences in how these people approach things, but still like the big conference aspect of it, not that different. It really is not that different. And yet here they are, sharing a stage. It demonstrates how powerfully theological commitments on certain issues can build bridges. And while concerns from people like John MacArthur would mean that Driscoll would never be a part of Together for the Gospel, an alliance that formed at about the same time would welcome him in, the Gospel Coalition. I remember... There you go. Hat tip, John MacArthur. Yeah, he did it. He kept him out. He knew. Covering the first Gospel Coalition public meeting in 2007 uh, for Christianity Today. And I remember a clean-cut, fresh-faced Mark Driscoll, like I said, 2007, with his polo shirt, meekly standing in line, uh, waiting to at with all these other people, or maybe 500, 700 people at this conference, waiting to ask a question of these pastors, John Piper, Don Carson, and Tim Keller. And we have pictures of that as well. And so Mark seemed around that time as the kind of person who was interested in learning, interested in growing. That didn't last very long. This was about the same time that Hanson would profile Driscoll for Christianity Today. This is something they bring up and in the context of this episode of brand building, they're kind of describing Driscoll as he's only there for the brand, the opportunities or what, or what he can build. And I, I, I said this to pastor Michael while we weren't recording that I actually think Driscoll was there to learn. And now they're going to describe later in this podcast. I don't know if we'll play the clip of him saying, well, I can't submit to someone with a smaller church. I think, and they also talk about why does Driscoll suddenly become reformed? I literally think Driscoll came to kind of these events or his relationships with these kinds of men. I think Driscoll was learning reform theology from them. Yeah. And I think his realization early in his life that the emergent church was jettisoning things he saw quite obviously in the Bible and found these kinds of men teaching reform theology. I think he was there to learn that. I also probably the point they make that is probably legitimate is that he was not there to learn leadership skills. He probably figured, right, that's kind of his wheelhouse, right? He's doing those things, quote unquote, better than all of these people. Yeah, what he needed was a theology. That's interesting. Also, it's just interesting, again, where there's this whole Christianity Today podcast about like how horrible this guy was. And you have an interview with a guy who profiled him (laughs) at the time early on for your magazine. Like you you were doing this, right? Like you were doing the, let's 
you Christianity today, and probably are still doing this, let's hitch ourselves to this yep. because it will gain us some kind of celebrity too. And I'm sure there's, again, this is the, and this is the, I think sometimes when we look back on these kinds of things, and this would be a risk for you and I, it's a much bigger risk for well-funded things like Christianity Today or TGC. Well, the fact that we're looking back with criticism on these things means we're not at risk for this now. Right. Right. Which no, no, please, please, TGC, see, you might be at risk of hitching yourself to a movement headed for collapse. Yes. Right now, <laughs> there's a chance, there's a chance you've hitched yourself to something that is going oh, to collapse. Man. Just, yeah, learn from your past mistakes. Social justice. <laughs> I'm sorry, we'll keep in the clips. In an article titled Pastor Provocateur, it's a pretty interesting read, even all that's unfolded since because a lot of the concerns were already there. But like so many who encountered him at the time, it was easy to let the weight of his successes overwhelm the visible concerns. I took a lot of criticism from people like John MacArthur for writing about Driscoll. The Gospel Coalition took a lot of criticism for including people like Driscoll. And um, it would be interesting to go back in retrospect and and consider what were all of the different warning signs that we missed, that I missed. And I think that's pretty obvious in some ways. Again, all this is happening. Uh, around- you know, maybe <laughs> go ahead and share those things. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's, I thought that's what this was all about. Yeah. But the- For- fortunately, there is a podcast that literally exists to go back <laughs> and discuss <laughs> what did we miss that you are being interviewed on. And yeah, it's just, man, the, that statement, it just, that drives me nuts a little bit, right? That, oh, it would be great to go back and see what we missed, but it's obvious. Oh, really? Like, okay, well then why don't you just like share, just tell us then what, what do you, uh, do you have regrets, right? Do you have regrets in this situation? We know John Piper doesn't. Right. Maybe John Piper doesn't, but does TGC have regrets that they did this? And just the fact that it's, it's passed over so like glibly and like, oh, well, like we're just passing that up. That just shows me like there's something going on here that like you are, you hitched yourself to this wagon. You like became popular in part because of this, like you, you rode this with this guy and you do hold some responsibility for it, but you are refusing to actually look yourself in the mirror and recognize that that's the case. Pastor Michael, in closing, I would like to to say something that I think all of our listeners as am I, I'm very thankful the Restless podcast exists because I actually think this description of the YRR, what, again, I know they had to do it in about five minutes, but when I think Colin Hansen, a great person to interview for this, and then the other person is Joshua Harris, I, I don't think we got a real, you know, feel of the YRR. And I think that divorcing Driscoll from that movement is actually a way to pretty misunderstand what was going on. And so I'm here to say, don't worry, everybody. We here at Restless, we are going to keep going. We are going to walk through the young Restless and Reformed in a way that Christianity Today either didn't have time or didn't care to. We don't just talk about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We don't just talk about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the podcast. We also talk about the rise and fall of the entirety of the young Restless and Reformed movement. And Colin Hansen, if you would like to come with us and 
have that interesting conversation. Oh, we, we really would love it. We, we really will we be really nice. It's it. winsome winter. We will be nice. This is the time to come. You, you, you don't want to come during the summer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Restless as we cover some more Christianity Today stuff. Pastor Michael, I'm worried we may not have been as winsome as we needed to be. I don't know. We we tried. We- Listen, we're trying, people. I know that that's hard to believe. We came to like our like deeper convictions in part under a guy like Mark Driscoll. So give us a break. <laughs> give us a break. That's our temperament. <laughs> Rate and review this show. Send us to number one on iTunes. <laughs>